Which man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and loses one of them, will not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the lost one until he finds it? When he has found it, he puts it on his shoulders, rejoicing. Luke chapter 15, verses 4 and 5. joy of finding that which was lost to us, having that reconciliation, having that burden of inconvenience lifted off of us. That is the subject of today's study on Messiah and life, as we consider two parables that deal with the lost. If you recall, in our last episode, we talked about the parables dealing with the urgent invitation the king and the wealthy man who prepared a wedding feast and a banquet, respectively. Each one bringing us to the point that there is only one response to the call, come, for the supper is ready, and that is to go. All of our excuses for not attending, all of our excuses for being distracted are weak and worthless, and we must go, we must respond because we don't want to miss that once in an eternity event called the marriage supper of the Lamb. Today, as we consider these parables dealing with the lost, now that we have been brought to the um, banquet, to the marriage feast, we now become laborers who are going out and announcing and searching and being part of what we know is called the Great Commission. So this is what we'll be looking at today, the joy that comes from finding that which was lost, a joy that allows us to rejoice with heaven, even as heaven once rejoiced over us as we were brought home. So let's read in in Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to Yeshua, to Jesus. The Pharisees and the Torah scholars began to complain, saying, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told this parable to them, saying, Which man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and loses one of them, will not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the lost one until he finds it? When he has found it, he puts it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors and says, Rejoice with me. For I found my sheep that was lost. I tell you in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one repenting sinner than over the ninety-nine righteous people who have no need of repentance. Or which woman, if she has ten silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search thoroughly until she finds it? When she has found it, She calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the coin I had lost. In the same way I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So all of us, at some point, at some point in our life, we've experienced that joy of finding something that had been lost to us. 
that relief knowing that, in fact, our wallet was not in some public area that we can't recall, that our keys were not dropped somewhere that they cannot be retrieved from, or a precious family heirloom that has been in, in our family for generations hasn't been misplaced beyond finding. So we can relate to that joy that comes from finding the lost. Our two parables today deal with lost sheep and lost coin. And they focus on that diligent search that is involved in recovering those lost items. To go out and find that lost sheep, you have to search. You have to look closely. You have to be attentive not only to what has been disturbed, but also what you may hear and what you may see. In order to recover that coin, as we see in the parable, the woman had to light a lamp. She had to sweep. She had to get under things in order to find it. And as we understand from the summation of both parables, Messiah is speaking about the repentance recovery of sinners. So, this is a search, of course, that's been underway from the dawn of human history. If we think back to the opening chapters of the Bible, as the record shows us beautifully and, and so poetically how God spoke creation into being, how he formed man out of the dust of the earth, and then breathed his neshama, his breath of life into us. He created not only the heavens and the earth and all their array and the creatures that dwell both on the land and in the sea, but he created man, Adam, who was, of course, created in his image and likeness. And this suggests a relationship that is unlike any other in creation. We see the uniqueness of this relationship as expressed in the Genesis account, as the Lord comes to the garden to walk with Adam and Eve, as the Torah says, Ruach Hayom, often translated as the cool of the day, but really the spirit of the day. No matter what the day might bring to us, beloved, we know that the Lord has ordered our steps. This is the day that the Lord has made. We'll rejoice and be glad in it. No matter what that day brings, the Ruach Hayom, we know that he is with us. But this changes. After Adam and Eve eat of the free uh, the tree the fruit of the tree that is forbidden, they hid themselves. Why? Because they recognized that they were naked, and in that nakedness they sewed fig leaves together, and from that they hid themselves when they heard the voice, the sound of God walking toward them, and the Lord, as he's looking for them, cries out, Ayech, where are you? Where are you? And the Lord begins to seek that which was, of course, lost. So, man, having been expelled from the garden, over the course of generations becomes more wicked and more corrupt, the human heart finding new depths of depravity, to the point where the Lord mourns, having created us. And, of course, a judgment comes upon the earth in the form of the flood. And those eight souls that entered into the ark would come forth for a renewal of humanity, only to see humanity once again descend into wickedness. But the Lord doesn't give up. Rather than eliminating us entirely and getting away with us, he begins by calling a single man, Avraham. He calls Abraham and begins to make a unique nation, a unique people who look in every way like their neighbors, 
but who live differently, distinctly. They live by the blessing of the covenant Lord, the one true God. And that family would become a light unto nations. That family would take part in the reconciliation of humanity to the living God himself, revealing his truth, revealing his righteousness in a world that is set adrift in sin. But yet the family of God, Israel, did not always live up to that noble calling. As the generations passed, of course, Israel becomes more concerned really with its own liberty, its own salvation, its own position in in the world according to the Lord's call than it does with being concerned for the lost. I want to read from Ezekiel. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4 of chapter 34. And then we'll read verses 10 through 16. So the Lord says, the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. This is the leadership of Israel, whether civil or religious. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, thus says the Lord God, oi, shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves, should shepherds not take care of the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourself with the wool, you kill the fat ones. But you do not take care of the sheep. You do not strengthen the weak, heal the sick, bind the broken, bring back the stray or seek the lost. Instead, you have ruled over them with force and cruelty. As the Lord is speaking, Israel as a light to the world was supposed to shepherd not only the Jewish people to the fold of God, to the field of God, but also the lost of the world. So, what is the Lord's response to this? This is where we read, beginning in verse 10. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will demand my flock from their hand. I will dismiss them from tending the flock. The shepherds will no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouth, so they will not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, Here I am. I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his sheep on the day, he is among his scattered flock. So I will seek out my sheep. I will rescue them out of all the places where they have been scattered on the day of cloud and thick darkness. I will bring them out from the peoples. I will gather them from the countries. I will bring them back to their own land. I will shepherd them upon the mountains of Israel by the streams And in all the habitable places of the land, I will shepherd them in a good pasture. Their grazing place will be on the high mountains of Israel. There they will lie down on good grazing ground. They will feed in a rich pasture of the mountains of Israel. I will tend my flock and make them lie down. It is a declaration of the Lord. Of course, this is taking us back to Psalm 23. And the Lord concludes, I will seek the lost. Bring back the stray, bind up the broken, and strengthen the sick. But the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will tend them with justice. He will seek the lost. He will feed the hungry. He will heal the sick, and he will bind up the broken. How did he do this? Well, he did this through the good shepherd, Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus. And Messiah himself said, for the Son of Man has has come to seek and save that which was lost. Luke 19 and verse 10. 
So Messiah tells the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin in response to the scribes and the Pharisees, who, as they're examining him, say, this one receives sinners and eats with them. So it's clear from the gospel record that Messiah was comfortable around people, all people. So in order to find the lost, he had to, by necessity, be around the lost. But that doesn't mean he affirmed what they were doing. Rather, he met them. So in Luke 5, 30 and 32, Messiah answers the Pharisees again, who ask, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? This, is, this doesn't make sense for a religious Jew. Why do you do this? And Jesus answered them and said, those who are well do not need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. So, the fascinating aspect of Messiah's interaction with the scribes and Pharisees is that they never questioned his Jewish observance. Rather, they, they questioned who he chose to associate with. Surely, you'll want to associate with us. We're the religious. We're the righteous. We're the holy, right, and good. You, you want to be with us. You don't want to be with these undesirables from within our society. See, table fellowship, sitting and dining with sinners during the first century, was quite often viewed as an endorsement of their questionable lifestyle. But Messiah showed love, he showed compassion for all who were truly repentant and those who were truly lost. And he did so regardless of their financial or social standing. So to help us understand this point, there's a beautiful story in the Talmud that talks about Rabbi Meir and his wife. Now, Rabbi Meir is a very high-profile leader in Jewish history. He's credited for many persuasive, um, very influential um, arguments in the Mishnah. But his wife is always portrayed as having even a greater wisdom than Rabbi Meir. So, in one of the areas where they lived, there was, of course, people who were troublemakers and they were sinners. And the Talmud says that Rabbi Mir prayed that they would die. And he did this upon the justification of Psalm 104, verse 35, which, according to most translation and his translation, called for the sinners to be brought to an end. But it said that his wife corrected him on this and said that it's not the sinners, but the sins that should be brought to an end. In other words, when sin ceases, there'll be no more wicked men. And being a man of wisdom, Rabbi Mir recognized that his wife was correct, and he began to pray that the sins rather than the sinners would be brought to an end. And in the end, Rabbi Mir prayed for them, and they repented. See, the key message of these two parables, the lost sheep and the lost coin, is that all believing people, all disciples of the Messiah, having a love for the living God, must join in that search for the lost souls of the world. They must be willing to go out and find that sheep. And that's a story that was circulated pre-first century regarding Moses in Exodus 3. How did he happen upon the burning bush? The rabbis say he was looking for a lost sheep. So, we have to be willing to go out and search. We have to be go, uh, willing to sweep the house, clean out the house, look under the dressers, under the tables, under the chairs, and so on to find the lost coin. 
Messiah demonstrated something marvelous to the scribes and the Pharisees, but they missed it. See, Messiah, we might say, is a scholar above all scholars. But the beautiful thing is that his learning didn't keep him from doing. It did not keep him away from people. As he examples for us, he examples for us faithful living and a doing of God's word in the circumstance of life, in the complications of life, in the waywardness of life. He shows us how to be in but not of. So we learn the balance of learning the word and applying the word. As James writes, faith without works is dead. The very essence of Jesus' teaching is this, hear and obey. But Paul amplifies this for us so that we understand the hear and obey. For not the hearers of the law are righteous in the sight of God, but the doers of the law shall be declared righteous. Romans 2.13 Hear and obey. Not only hear, but do. That's the obey part that Messiah is saying. So, Messiah is calling us to decisive action. We must respond. We must seek the lost. We must bear the burden of the restoration. That means we sometimes have to clean the house up and sometimes we have to carry the sheep on our shoulders. And then we will share in that heavenly joy. Remember, we have been called, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 21, we have been called to a ministry of reconciliation. Be reconciled to God. Those who have been established, called to the Great Commission are in a ministry of reconciliation crying out to humanity. You're lost, but you can be found. Just cry out to the shepherd. He is there. He is willing. He is able. He wants you to come to him. And to take part in that ministry of reconciliation, you don't have to be of a particular financial uh, position or social bracket or anything like that. You don't have to be a scholar of anything. And the parable of the lost sheep Messiah is speaking to those of wealth and position, those who are wealthy enough to have a hundred sheep. You're responsible to seek the lost as well, as he desires that none would perish. And then in the parable of the lost coin, Messiah is speaking to those who are poor, who rejoice because they found their day's pay that they need to survive. And this is what he is calling us to. This is the response that he expects of us. Do not rely on your wealth and do not rely on your poverty, but be active in the doing of God's word. All are responsible to seek and save the lost in Messiah Yeshua. We've all, doesn't matter who we are in him, we have been called to this thing called the Great Commission. So the question is, will you respond to the message of these parables? Will I respond to the message of these parables? Will you go out with the Lord as he calls out for his lost sheep? I remember many, many years ago when I was still a shepherd, and I've told this story many times, there was a, the flock was in the yard, the barnyard, and something spooked uh, one of the lambs, and he broke through a fence, and just bolted for the woods. He bolted like something was chasing after him. And of course, through those woods, there was a river. And in, I knew exactly where he was going. So I pursued and I got to the river to find that he had not crossed it, but rather when he got to essentially the middle of the river, 
he stood frozen. He had no idea what he had entered into. And I waded out to the water, through the water, and picked that lamb up and put him on my shoulders and I carried him back. And of course, my mind is thinking of the parable of the lost sheep. And I rejoiced even more because I could see from this incredible moment in my life the joy that the Lord has when one sheep is returned to the flock. Isn't it amazing how he helps us to understand the depths and the riches of his word? We're all responsible to go out and look. We're all responsible to be searching and doing the work of the search. So the question is, how will we respond to these parables? Will we go out with the Lord as he calls out for his lost sheep? I hope and pray that the answer for all of us is yes, that we would be unashamed and unafraid to share. It doesn't mean we go out and traumatize people with what we consider the most important parts of the message of the gospel. Rather, we meet with people where they are, just as Messiah did. We sit, we take time, we share life, and in that we get to minister to them. Be reconciled to God. And then not only do we get to rejoice with the angels of heaven, but we get to see firsthand the joy, the joy that erupted when we were restored to our Father in heaven. Isn't it amazing just how he brings all of this together and includes us by his grace and his mercy and a plan, and a plan that neither you nor I could have conceived or written or thought of. It's an amazing time, my friends. And these parables reach to such, such depths in our heart that they demand a response from us. And I think and I hope and I pray that our response is, yes, Lord, here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. So friends, I hope and pray that something in this podcast today was a blessing to your heart. And as always, I thank you for listening. I thank you for listening and sharing in this time. So I pray the Lord's blessing upon each and every one of you, no matter where you are scattered around the world. May the Lord bless and keep you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.